business and bourbon. Man, I am so jealous. Straight up, I'm jealous. So it was just a natural flow to becoming a DJ. But let me tell you, when I did, ah, it just felt like the, the heavens right thing. opened. Someone would have to just walk up and punch me in the eye. <laughs> oh, she does not want any crazy. Some slip through the crack. <laughs> no names. <laughs> It'd be hard to not vote for Oprah. Are you kidding me? You're this fundraising banking machine. Yeah. How the hell did you become a DJ? <laughs> can yeah. you explain that? The worst thing that we can do is pull the trigger too early. There is no one path to entrepreneurship. No. Until you make them a reality. <laughs> They're kind of just like these far-fetched ideas of what you want. Yo, I'm on TV. I'm big ballin'. Yeah, I'm that's successful. exactly how it didn't happen. Once you're doing it, it's 100%. We're going to sneak her out the back door when we're done. She's got to put a wig on. There's no value in that. Value in that. Welcome to Business and Bourbon. I'm Ronnell Richards, the creator and your host. I'm sure many of you out there, just like me, have daydreamed about doing something really cool, right? Maybe being an actor or being a, a singer and traveling the world and doing concerts and doing some really cool stuff. But it's a daydream, right? We go back to our day jobs, we go back to our businesses, and we do what we do to feed our families. What would you think if I told you that I know someone that had that corporate gig, had that corporate job, lived in that corporate dream, and they said, you know what, I'm going to drop it and I'm going to go be an international DJ at mid-career. Yep, you heard me right, at mid-career. I'm not talking about a 21 years old. Man, I am so jealous. I know someone who did just that and who's out there killing the game. So I want to introduce you to her. My guest for today's episode is DJ Stormy, AKA Stormy Monroe. Yep, she was in the corporate world doing just like you and I. But then you know what? She decided, hey, I'm gonna go all in in this entertainment world. And she's really doing some great stuff, killing it out there. So I wanted to bring her in, sit down at the bar and talk about that transition. What's that been like to go from the corporate world into entrepreneurship? Because make no mistake, she's an entrepreneur now. So what's that's been like for her? And I want her to share some fun stories with us. So I invited her to sit down with me. We had a couple of drinks and I'm gonna invite you guys to sit down with us. Go ahead and grab your favorite glass, mug, cup, whatever it is you wanna drink out of, pour your very favorite beverage in there. Sit down next to us and enjoy a little business and bourbon. Welcome back to Business and Bourbon with Ronnell Richards. Once again, in Atlanta at King and Duke. If you haven't been here, Man, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, matter of fact, I've been telling you guys every single episode, get to King and Duke. This is where it's popping. I'm looking around right now. And OK, I'm going to be honest. There's not a lot of people right here right now. Just but usually this is where business is going on. It's going down all the time. So make sure you get in here, support these guys. Tell them that Ronnell sent you. Now, with that said, man, I have a guest that you guys are going to love. And one of the reasons why. I wanted to bring this guest on as I think her story is so unique. And in some ways, man, I am so jealous. Straight up, I'm jealous. So without any further ado, I have Stormy Monroe, also known as what? DJ Stormy. Look at that voice. Y'all hear that voice? Oh, my <laughs> God. DJ Stormy, 
Welcome to the Business and Bourbon Podcast. My Let dear. me just tell you, no, the thanks goes to you, Mr. Ronnell. This is absolutely amazing. And as he said, King and Duke is definitely the place to be because I am uh, sipping on something called the Winnie, which is something I've never tasted what? before. And yeah, it is. For the taste buds, it's absolutely amazing. It's so, Prosecco mixed with vodka, which I've never had whoa. before. <laughs> so, you know, you beat me to the point because ah, that's one of the things we do. Ah. We talk about what we're drinking. Well, it was just that good. Let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> I had to put that to the forefront. And no, yes, I love having a cocktail, but, you know, I don't have too many. Oh, but come this on. one, I will First indulge all, in. There will be no cocktail shaming or no alcohol <laughs> shaming on the Business and Bourbon podcast. So, yes, okay, we're not alcoholics. You're not a we enjoy cocktails. And and really, it's just the backdrop to what we do, because what we do on whether it's this this podcast or it's our live events or it's our our show, it's really about sharing wisdom. And this that's just the backdrop. Like, I feel like sitting down and having a cocktail with with a friend like you is what really puts us in the right mood and the right vibe to really drop some knowledge, drop the knowledge, be real, hold nothing back. And that's mm-hmm. what the people want to hear. Absolutely. You know, they don't need anything fabricated. And at this point in our lives, if you're doing anything to fabricate anything, um, you don't belong. I'm <laughs> so. telling you. Well, you know, with all the social media and everything that's out there, I think we're all we're all hip. Yeah. We know what's real. We know it isn't. Yes. But hey, this is about you, my friend. So first, let's Woo. get let's put a little get a little context out there. Tell the people who you because everyone in the A knows you. But I want to tell the people, tell, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, tell, I go by the name of DJ Stormy. Uh, most people in the A know me as an international DJ. Um, then others also know me as a businesswoman in corporate America. For the most part, um, I've been doing that for the last 16 years here in Atlanta. Well, no, I'm sorry, the last 14 years here in Atlanta. Um, the last almost 18 years in corporate America in general from New Orleans, Louisiana, originally born in Trinidad and Tobago. So I am West Indian. I am straight Trini and is. Guyanese. Um, can but you yeah, cook? I can cook. There it is. I All can y'all can cook. cook. So All y'all can cook. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely cook. And then for most recently, uh, most of Atlanta and the world knows me from Ready to Love. It's a Will Packer production. It was his first um unscripted television series on the own network, Miss Oprah herself. So very, very happy I was a part of that and very happy that I was able to be a part of the own family and the Will Packer, Will Power Packer media family. And they've embraced me and I just love them like till the end. <laughs> I love the work that they're doing. Yes. I really amazing. Do. So much so that um, Stormy, I mean, you think maybe that you could put in a word for a brother because business you and know. bourbon on own really. Wow. I'm, could, That's actually pretty that, nice. Right? Here's the problem, though. So if I'm on own, there's going to have to be some, I don't know, all these crazy relationships. And I'm going to have to have someone that's right. Like, it's got to be it's got to be a soap opera. Yeah, your producer is going to have to be in it. Let me tell you, it's going to have to be in it. There's going to have to be true entertainment. And and your guests are going to have to be a little you know, sideways. They I'm can't gonna, have it all mentally. Well, you know, you can start with me. I don't have it all there. I you think know, you, you know, I got some on. screws missing there. Right. I, I think they need. I think we need to take it to the next level. If we're really going to take it to own, like I think maybe someone would have to just walk up and just like punch me in the eye. And just, uh, no. like, well, here's like, the thing. Let me tell you. With own, um, shoot, Mama Oprah does not play. Yeah. Um, everything like she's very integral in every piece of the due diligence of any cast member. And I'll just share with you. Like literally, I've had to take two or three personality tests, background checks, everything. Passed? Oh yeah, I passed everyone. Okay. With, 
Yeah, IQ test and everything just to become on a reality show on her what? network. Like she, she does want not no crazies play. on there. She does not want any crazies. Some some slip through the crack. <laughs> no names. <laughs> but some slip through the crack. But you know, I was one of the ones that, you know, had pretty great balance. Had a yeah. little crazy with a good stability and yeah. common sense, you know. I think I did well. <laughs> well, I, I again I will say that, hey, if you can Put in a word with Auntie Oprah. Just let her know her nephew's over. I'm just kidding. I got but you. But I'm not. <laughs> I got you. But did you see that article that came out? What? Uh, it wasn't really an article. It was on social media about she didn't like people calling her auntie. Oh, she, oh really? Yeah. Take that back. So um, We're going to go ahead and chop that up, edit that. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> what, does she want, what does she want to be? Ref- I guess. She's like everybody's Oprah. aunt, though. Oh, yeah. Like the cool aunt. I guess she doesn't like the name auntie or the tag of auntie and auntie, auntie, whatever you want to call her. I and see. So I'm good with Mama O. I can be baby daddy <laughs> Oprah like uh, <laughs> I think Dave Chappelle did that back in the day. Yes, he did. I'm okay with that one, he too. Did. He did. Whatever. I just, it's just mad love Look, Oprah. at this I'm just point saying. in her career and business career, if that's what she feels like she doesn't want to be titled, then, hey, I'm okay with that. Whatever she wants. Queen O, Mama O. I think she's going for queen or yeah. something like that. Yeah. She needs but, to run for president. Yep, she's almost there. Yeah. Listen, I don't know about her political stance and all that, but I'm going to tell you, it'd be hard to not vote for Oprah. Are you kidding me? It'd be hard to not vote for Oprah. Yeah. You cannot vote for Oprah. Like, yeah. Everybody she, loves Oprah. She covers a little bit of every piece of the market, and she's very diverse and... Hey, and she's a female, so go ahead for the women empowerment here. All right. Let's go ahead and get a, a clink it up for that. Woo. That's bad radio, but I'm all about doing some bad radio at times. Hey, you can't, y'all can't see that, but oh well. Clink then sip. We clinked it, and we're sipping. By the way, I am sipping a Negroni, and it is delicious. And it's Negroni week, I've been told. Negroni week. <laughs> yeah. Like, Interesting. I don't, I don't know who determined that it was going to be the week of Negroni, but someone did. And so what is a Negroni? I've never had a Negroni. So, Brian, what's in a Negroni? What's in a Negroni? Gin, vermouth, and Capari. Uh, Gin, vermouth, and Capari. Brian is wow. one of the managers here. See, that's how we got it. We got we have staff all around. Like, if y'all were here, again, bad radio, but if y'all were here around, you'd see there's like, there's a, a dozen people around just catering to us because that's how it goes down. It's Shout out to the manager <laughs> Shout out. and the business owners. Let me just tell y'all, we have the entire restaurant to ourselves. We do. And that is not something that um, when we have DJ Stormy come through, like they're like, oh, no paparazzi. Matter of fact, paparazzi, they're outside right now. Whatever. So like, <laughs> like, yo, we can't have them in here. We got them out. We're going to sneak her out the back door when we're done. She's got to put a wig on. It's crazy, but that's that celebrity life. Hey, right? you know, as long as, you know, there's some potential single guys out there, I'm okay with them being in line and wanting to tackle me. I'm okay with that. At this <laughs> point on. in my life, you know, I'm a grown woman. I'm 40. You know, you handle, do whatever you, you need you to do. You can hold your own, though, right? <laughs> like, come <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, hey, listen, let's bring this back. Now, when I introduced you, one of the things I said is, yeah, I am so super jealous because, like, I think... One of the things that we all, all of us in the hip hop age, which I like to call just, you know, 80s babies, like we've grown up in hip hop. And that's kind of, it's just part of our story. It's part of our DNA. And like so many of us in corporate, we're like, yo, man, I'd love to do some DJing. And I almost bought myself some turntables about 
15 years ago, but it didn't happen. Your story is so interesting to me. And I want to let's talk about that because let's talk about your corporate background a little bit. Sure. I want you to please share that with the audience. Sure. I started um, back in 1998 in banking, actually. Um, I started in the back office of banking. Um, I was a retail loan processor with Hibernia Bank, which is now Capital One. They merged with Capital One. I then went on to higher education. My ex-boss actually recruited me um, and recruited me into a higher education at Dillard University, which is pretty cool, but I'm an extrovert. Dillard. So, yeah, Dillard University, yeah. the prestigious Dillard University, HBCU in New Orleans, Louisiana. Yes, yes, yes. I was in front of a computer the entire time, and I'm an extrovert, and I love talking to people. I love socializing. I love meeting people, and I did everything in my power at that point um, to kind of get out of that position. So I worked very hard and, and very quickly, I became the youngest director of annual giving, which is raising unrestricted dollars and scholarships for students, um, paying the water bills and everything. But literally I was thrown into the heat, into the iron, into philanthropy. And so literally that's what I did at Dillard University, one of the youngest directors. And it was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. At that point, I loved what I did, but I always loved the business and the finance perspective. So I went over to Merrill Lynch of New Orleans. I was one of the only women of color, <laughs> but one of two people of color at Merrill Lynch. And I went on board because I wanted to help financially educate um, everyone at all levels. Whether you were coming to me trying to do a college fund or now with with your child or if you had a million dollars and wanted to invest. And at that time, they just flipped the switch, which was $250,000 net worth and lower had to go to a call center. And I had guidelines that I had to abide by. I had things that I wanted to help the community and people with. I knew a lot of people that were very wealthy at that point with the relationships that I built at Dillard University, political, non-political, business owners. But at that point in my life, I was like, I got into the financial industry because I wanted to help everyone. Um, and it didn't matter how much you brought to the table. And that, that took away my ability to really be hands-on with a lot of the community people that I influenced and wanted to help them and educate them. I could have consistently done that from an education perspective, but from a business perspective, it took it out of my reach, out of my hands. And so I didn't really care for that. So I ended up going over to Bank One, which was then I went through the merger with J.P. Morgan Chase. Mm -hmm. And then Hurricane Katrina happened. Oh, yeah. And I evacuated with two days worth of clothes with all of my family, my dog, um, and everyone in about four vehicles, leaving my father behind, who was actually the superintendent of the Orleans Parish Levy Board at the time. Um, no, he did not have anything to do with the breach of the levies. <laughs> he oversaw the levies in the Orleans Parish. Okay. Absolutely great man. Um, and we evacuated like we always evacuate no matter what, right? We closed all the businesses, closed up Chase at the time, and literally evacuated and thought we were going to go back in two days. Headed to Atlanta because Atlanta, of course, Atlanta uh, Falcons versus the Saints has always been the biggest rivalry. We always wanted to come to Atlanta. We That's always a rivalry? Yeah, you know, no, <laughs> just a little. No, it's Falcons and then the... Oh, you mean the Aints? Oh, no, 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 no. You okay, got the S's that's, in superpowers, no, Saints. <laughs> that's where you lost me, the Aints. Okay, yeah, I'm familiar with the Aints. And 
I get it. I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. Both cities are absolutely amazing, but I'm not going to get um, off track with that piece. So, yes, we came here because Atlanta is a great city and we came here to party and enjoy ourselves in Buckhead. And we're like, OK, great. And then weeks and weeks later, we did not end up going back because they it's closed awesome. the city down. And it's awesome. Yeah. Here. But I found myself literally, um, you know, outside of credit cards and stuff like that, our banks weren't here. Mm -hmm. I was with Hibernia Bank. They didn't have banks here. We could only pull out ATMs at our daily limits. And so that became very difficult. Hotel expenses. You're talking about four carloads of family members. Hotel expenses then doubled and tripled and quadrupled. And we're waiting for help from FEMA to help subsidize some of those costs. So all of our savings at that point, I was pretty young. So all of our savings and our credit cards, that's what we had to live off of. Mm -hmm. And so we had nothing to subsidize that. So it was very important for us to try to figure out ways to actually, you know, buy clothes and food and make sure we're feeding all of these people who were not accustomed to feeding. Like each person, each family had their own responsibility, but we were all in these two, three hotel rooms and it's 20 something of us deep in two to three hotel wow. rooms sharing bathrooms and meals and it was ridiculous. It was a nightmare. Long story short, I ended up going back home, rebuilding. A tornado actually hit the back of my house, tore up everything. So rain just came down in my open roof for days and weeks at a time. And um, I got really lucky because one of the people that was working on my house, his, he was a contractor and he came in from Texas and he was working on my house, but I was going back and forth to Atlanta. And he needed a place for him and his contractors to stay because there were no hotels and most of the houses didn't have roofs and they had so much work. And and so I allowed them to stay in my home. Month later, he decided to rent my home. Um, he he brought it back up to par. By that time, I was in Atlanta and they showed me so much love. And I got on at Wachovia at the time. Um, so I went straight back into banking and I loved it. And so I ended up staying here. Most of my family and my husband's family at the time, I'm now divorced, but my husband's family at the time ended up going back just because from a cultural Yeah, you know, single. from a cultural perspective, mm -hmm. people are not used to um, not having public transportation and stuff. We're we're very close knit from a culture perspective in New Orleans. Everything is right there at your fingertips, right there at the corner. You can catch buses and go to the grocery stores and everything was such a far distance here in Atlanta. So you get here, yep. you, you continue in the same industry, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so timeline, that's like what, that was when you finally made the move. Six is when I finally said, okay, I'm going to be a resident of Atlanta, Georgia. So, okay. So you're this awesome, like fundraising banking machine. Yeah. How the hell did you become a DJ? <laughs> Can yeah. you explain that to me? We're Great. And I'll try to make it quick because I know we don't have all day. But in 1998, in New Orleans, I began managing local New Orleans artists and helping structure business deals and record deals with them. At that time, record deals were pretty big. But I was structuring more like $25,000, $50,000 deals with them and going on the road with them and traveling. Because um, I've always had entertainment in my blood. In my, like my veins are filled with music. Yeah. So growing up in Trinidad, my mom was a singer in Trinidad. I've got blood in mind. I see that you got blood, no music. No. <laughs> um, so my mom was a singer in Trinidad and Tobago, and she sang with the Mighty Sparrow, who was huge. And she gave up her career to have her children. So for me, my dad always loved music. We were just avid lovers of all types of music growing up in New Orleans. And then New Orleans, a melting pot for jazz and everything else. Absolutely. We have our own genre of music, bounce music. So um, I've always been in music, no matter what road I took. Okay, I've, so you've always had yep. 
kind of, you've always been in that scene, yep, right? In the business scene. So when I came here to Atlanta, it was hard because I knew no one. Um, I didn't have any connections in the clubs or the radio or anything. So I just focused on my corporate career. Yeah. Up until about probably 2013, I started getting back into the music scene and started promoting right here in Buckhead, actually. Not too far from here, there was a club called Buckhead Bottle Bar, right across the street, matter of mm-hmm. fact. Um, and it was absolutely amazing because I was one of the only female promoters at the time. But I had to learn the business side of it. You know, I lost all the connections of walking in clubs, no wait in line, and had to literally go backwards from the entertainment perspective. So, so I think from a business perspective, I don't want people to miss, like, there is no one path to entrepreneurship. No. And I've spoken to people who are in some ways ashamed that they're not like all in. Like, I'm just, I haven't, I'm not doing that. I'm not an all in entrepreneur. So oh, I'm not the same. No, man. Like you were holding down your responsibility, taking care of your corporate job yep. and living out the, this entrepreneurship. I had two full-time jobs. That's how you have to do it. <laughs> had two full-time jobs. I think that's important for people to know. Yeah. Uh, that path to success, largely, mm-hmm. a lot of us have had to do that. When yeah. I started my first company, I had two jobs, too. Yeah. I had two jobs. Two jobs. Two. <laughs> two. Fortunately, I had some great people in my corner that helped me out to put me in a position to where I could have those two jobs to help fund the business yep. and take care of my responsibility. So yeah. to all of you out there, part-time entrepreneurs, which, by the way, I don't think there's no such thing. You're an entrepreneur. You're yeah. not. Like. Man, my hat is off to you guys because you're grinding, you're making it happen, and know that that's what it takes to be able to do it full time. Yeah. As you have to make those types of compromises, you have to be willing to work at Home Depot, and while you're trying to get your your consulting business off, or work at wherever, yeah. and while you're trying to get that entrepreneur, make your entrepreneurship dream happen, because life keeps happening. It, it continues. It does not stop, pause, or anything for you. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because truly to be an entrepreneur and to be a business owner, one, it takes a lot of finances, right? Yes. Two, it takes a lot of time. And we're already balancing one job, whether it's corporate or a part-time job, and then you're balancing family and then your health and everything else that comes into there, not even layering in the small business aspect of it or becoming an entrepreneur, Man, the worst thing that we can do is pull the trigger too early and literally go 100% into our entrepreneurship and starting a business, brick and mortar, or just even creative perspective. Mm-hmm. And you sink. And the stress level is so high that you have no choice but to make very drastic decisions like pulling finances that you don't have, utilizing credit resources that you really don't want to because you don't have the capacity to pay those back. Um, and taking these chances that you shouldn't even be taking and risking all of this risk for you, your family, and honestly, your corporate job. Because for the most part, you have some kind of conflict of interest, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be very patient when it comes to entrepreneurship and starting businesses. And we got to be very smart. Just as a general business person, if you work anywhere, there's structure, there's a rigor that has to be developed. There's business and referrals. I mean, I don't think anybody, including Home Depot, you mentioned, um, you know, which is huge here in Atlanta or uh, even Chick-fil-A. If you're working for Chick-fil-A, there's expectations from a sales, a customer experience perspective. There's expectations that you have to maintain and meet on a daily basis. So if you think you're just about to jump into a small business or be an entrepreneur and don't have those things figured out. You have to have all those triggers already there running and clicking all at the same level because 
once you're doing it, it's 100%. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> let me ask you this. You're now 100% into your entertainment business and entrepreneurship. 100%. Like, <gasps> well, I know, huh? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. How scary is that? How scary was that? Every day it's scary. I'll be honest with you. I've been having the company since 2013. And because I was in corporate America, I did get it cleared. You have to go through all these hoops and, and, um, and all these documents and legalities to make sure it's not a conflict of interest. But I had to work my corporate job and then go outside of my corporate job and continue. So there were years and years and years. I literally got home 10, 11 o'clock at night and woke right back up at 5 a.m. in the morning to get on my 730 conference calls with my corporate America job. And those sacrifices are huge sacrifices because guess who is not getting the attention? Your significant other, your spouse, your children, your family. Um, and, and you've got all this riding on your dreams. And unfortunately, um, they are just that until you make them a reality. And so until you make them a reality, <laughs> they're kind of just like these far-fetched ideas of what you want. Um, to attain and what you imagine. And it's hard for family, friends, significant others, husbands, wives to even give up all of that just to help you and facilitate your dream. Sometimes you can't even touch those things. It's not tangible. They're just visions and missions that you toss out there and you live by. And that's the hardest part is allowing and having your family or the most important people to you see you work so hard, Ronell, and get nothing in return immediately. And, and to be factual, it took years for them to actually believe that this thing could possibly go somewhere. Hold up. So you mean you didn't just like in 2010, 11, 12 decide, you know what, I'm going to do this. And then you flip the switch and like, yo, I'm on TV. I'm big balling. Yeah, I'm successful. exactly how it didn't happen. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You no. know, like I think that the way that we see things now, uh, because we, we are so instant gratification, yeah. we're and we're inundated with all of this imagery day in and day out, which is why I talk about entrepreneur porn. Do you know about entrepreneur porn? Do you know no. about this? Okay. All right. So here's what entrepreneur porn is for our new listeners and for Stormy. This is all this bullshit that we're inundated with on a daily basis whether it be through social media, whether mm. it be through reality shows that aren't real, mm. right? Where we see people that are seemingly successful and they're seemingly doing great things and entrepreneurship, but it's bullshit. It's not real. It doesn't tell the real story of what Ooh. entrepreneurship is. And so I call that entrepreneur porn. These are, these are things that are basically just out there for people to, sorry, mom, to get their rocks off. That's Seriously. it. Like, oh, you know, I'm excited. Oh, yeah, that's so yeah. cool. Oh, I can do it without really understanding what this means, what this life is about, what it. And so what I educate people on and what we try to teach people is that, look, you can be successful in this. You can be a successful entrepreneur, but I want you to understand what it really means, because you cannot be successful if you're just looking at all this bullshit over there that's not real, that's going to set you up for failure. You listen to Stormy, you listen to her yeah. story, and she's going to tell you, give you wisdom, and tell you about her experience, her journey, so that you're prepared for it, so you can handle it. So one of the things that you just said that just was really, man, just on point, you're talking about the sacrifice. You're talking about those long hours. You're talking about the family the people that are closest yes. to you. And what happens when they don't see those immediate successes or they're not seeing those successes over time? Well, they start to lose a little faith at times. Even though you got faith, 
even though you're trying to keep it going to be successful, yes, they aren't as checked in to it as nope. you. And it can cause you to lose family members. It can cause you to lose the support of the people that, quite frankly, you need support more than, from and than anyone. faith in yourself and oh, what yes. your vision and your dream is. And you start questioning your dream. Like, you know, there are some people that need to question their dream out there. Guys, let's be clear. <laughs> there are some people that need to question what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because it's at a point where I really feel I talk to people in entrepreneurship. And I talk to small business owners and they are sacrificing everything, including their family and their children. And that includes um, food and money going into the household. And a lot of it has to do with materialistic things, right? We are so pressured with what we're driving or what house we're living in. And as an entrepreneur, well, let's be real. Unless you have worked and saved enough money and you have a steady stream of income from another job, that is going to maintain that life cycle, that's not the life that you should be living in, um, especially as a new entrepreneur, a new small business owner. It, that's the, like, that's not the life. You should be living a very minimal life. When I say minimal, like if you don't have a car note, that's what I'm talking about, minimal. If you don't have a house note or you can go live with a family member or your parents, that's what I'm talking about, minimal, because that's what it's taking from a sacrifice perspective to be successful, at least give your small business a hundred percent of your energy. Like okay. that's the sacrifice. Okay. So you mentioned <laughs> something that I don't want to be lost on people. I think that, and you can speak to this mm -hmm. as someone that made that full on change in what we call mid career, right? Like, okay, I put in my decade or, or so in, in my uh, industry and now I'm going on to this entrepreneurship thing. One of the challenges is that we have is see when we're earlier on mm -hmm. in our career and in our lives, like, when we're in college, you eat noodles and noodles. Like, yeah. it's no big deal. So what happens when you've been in corporate, you've been making a good income, you've, you've accumulated things, and now I'm going to be a full-time DJ? Oh, we haven't even talked about that. So I became a DJ because I never became an artist. So I never went on the other side of the microphone as I am right now and actually produced and delivered content from a streaming perspective, a physical CD, like music, real music. And back in 2015, I spent the entire year, which probably would have only taken two months, but I spent an entire year in the studio um, perfecting my craft to release an EP, which is a smaller version of an album. And so I did that. And so becoming a DJ was the next step because I'm getting older, right? Um, I was older in the entertainment industry. I'm not 19. I'm not 22. Um, my longevity in the entertainment industry um, is highly. Uh, yeah, you know, I do look it, but, you know, <laughs> I feel it, too. But it's questionable, especially coming from corporate America and you have a job and you're looking at stability and longevity. And it's like, no, this is the biggest question mark in the entertainment industry is your age and your longevity in this industry. So did you feel pressure to like, I got to do this now if I'm going to ever do it or yes, what? Yes, I did. So that was in 2015. It's 2019. And I felt like I need to release if I'm going to do music, I need to do it now. Get that out there. That was also just a platform for me because I knew there was something else in entertainment that I loved. I love the business side. I love the music side. So what else? But it was just such a natural path for me to go from, especially um, specializing in electronic dance music and infusing that with hip hop music. As a woman of color, we don't know much about EDM music, and it's a global genre, and it's a global genre that has so many subgenres, which is, um, you know, you have um, your drum and bass, you have techno, 
you have your big room, you have all these different subgenres, and it's a global genre. Hip hop is, yes, the number one genre right now, but for the longest time, EDM has been a genre that literally capitalized globally. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to infuse hip hop with EDM so people could listen to a hip hop song that was played from Future um, or even a pop song from Rihanna and then hear the beats and the drops and the buildups um, from an EDM perspective. And so I wanted to get that bridge and, and, um, and allow to patch that bridge for those two genres to say, hey, we can blur these genres and create great music that people really want to listen to and dance to and party to. So that was my first thing with my record and my album is actually bridging the gap between those two genres. The second thing was what was next after that? And in EDM, like David Guetta, Calvin Harris, all these major people, they are truly producers and DJs. They're not really artists. And so the next step was DJing. And it just so happened since 2012, I've had DJ equipment at my house because, we, hey, I'm from New Orleans. We do crawfish bowls and crab bowls. And, you know, we have parties and barbecues. And so my brother purchased that equipment in 2012, and we've always played around with it. So it was just a natural flow to go to becoming a DJ. But let me tell you, when I did, just felt like the, the heavens right thing. opened mm -hmm. and I was doing that while I was in my corporate job and I landed my role on ready to love um, which was the unscripted series by Will Packer on own network and it just flowed from there and from that perspective and that point in my career I knew that I tapped into something that was very special that I can hold on to so I did that in corporate America for a good while balancing both and actually i gave 150 to corporate america and i gave 150 to the music industry so here's what so people want here's, here's right what, <laughs> i don't <laughs> that's not possible listen i'm not a mathematician <laughs> i'm not albert einstein it's not possible but i don't think that equates on any spreadsheet <laughs> but but stormy check this out so here's one of the questions i get the most and this question is when do you decide to take your passion and make it a business? When do you turn? Just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that it's a good idea. Correct. Right? That's what you've done. Like, you've taken your passion and you've turned it into a business. What was that process for you? Why did you decide, okay, this is something yep. that can actually be a viable business? Yep. What was your process? Tell me about so it. So for me, it's going 150% in both careers. And truly, your passion has to turn into another career, a full-time career. And if you can't allot the time, if you don't have that time to really go and you have to be home, whether it's small children and you have to take care of an infant or something, and you don't have that time to allocate, whether it's at at-home business or in the streets and actually like networking, shaking hands, kissing babies, it's a job. It's a process. It's a full-time job, just like your day job. And so I would say, make sure that whatever it is that you want to do, you have to do it just as much as you're doing your full-time corporate job and give it just as much respect and time and effort and self-finance it as well. That's the biggest mistake that I run into, especially with the females. They think that in the entertainment industry, it's about somebody putting you on and they don't understand that it's, no, it's about creating for yourself and putting yourself on and gaining respect. And so the era of asking for favors I've never really asked for favors. I know everybody for the most part in the There are industry. no such thing, yeah. right? Like there's there's th none. Every favors come with No. They come with a with some sort of um 
there's going to be something asked in return, yeah. right? There's no there's no such thing as favors in that business or most businesses. That right? is 100% correct. So I had to prove myself. Just like in corporate America or at a day job, you have to prove yourself to go from line worker to supervisor or manager to a district manager to, you know, senior leadership to executive. Like you have to prove yourself in your own process as a small business owner as well. And so there's steps. You can't go from I've I've thought about this business. I want to go open up brick and mortar and I want to do a restaurant. No, (laughs) you've got to get business licenses. You have to do your research and your due diligence to get to certain stages and phases in entrepreneurship, in opening a small business. And until you get to that level, you cannot successfully say it's time for me to chase my passion and turn it into green. No. (laughs) So so how many years would you say it took you to kind of determine? 1998. It was when I first started in the entertainment industry. Okay. And then I just stated in 2013, I started the business name working towards that. It's 2019, but I couldn't really do much except build, right? Mm -hmm. Go through the stages and the phases of being an entrepreneur and trying to build. So for you, what was that moment where... Well, let's see. Let's do your math. Okay. Yeah. Well, you took that 150 and that 150 yeah. and you put 300% yeah. into the business. <laughs> that shit makes no sense. But you're the guest. Yeah. The guest is always right. <laughs> what was the catalyst in that? What happened where you said, okay, boom, this is what I'm doing. I'm yeah. all in. Yeah. So that catalyst um, actually happened last year. Well, it's been about a year and a half, almost two years in the making. And so I knew I wanted to transition from corporate America. I just needed a a time where I felt like I had enough savings and I had the opportunity and the network to start leveraging, not asking for favors, but start leveraging. I built my brand to a point where I can offer something. And so at that point, I knew that I can use what I have built in my services and the industry that I am in to actually start making income, income that would supplement and then soon take over to at least match or come somewhat close to what I was making in corporate America. Then I made that transition, but not until then, because it's very scary because corporate America and just having a day job in general is structure. It provides structure. It provides a rigor for us that we start to tend to feel comfortable. We all make companies a lot of money. I, for one, I was a district manager. I had six branches and my book of business had a trillion dollars. It's crazy how much money we make these companies and what we really get paid, even including the bonuses. It's not even a percentage of what we truly get paid from a salary perspective. But we have to do what we have to do in order to get to the place where we want to do and live out our passions. And it's sustainable and it can help our family from an income perspective and grow. So for you, it was about timing, about (laughs) coming to the realization that you could replace your income. Yeah. It has to be because once we leave that structure, it's hard. If you don't have the savings and you don't have the network and you don't have that leverage that's needed to continue to build and grow your business, you're going to remain stagnant or you're going to go in reverse. And it's more than likely you're going to go in reverse because sooner or later your savings is going to run out. And sooner or later that financial pressure is probably one of the worst stresses uh, mentally, physically, <laughs> on any relationship, family, or any business Absolutely. that yeah. you can face is financial pressures. Because you start making drastic decisions that you don't want to make, but you need to make because that's the only way you're going to continue. And that continuance is only going to be, like, hopefully two to five years. But truly, it's 
might be two to six months mm-hmm. just to keep you alive and floating. And before you know it, that's why, you know, I talk to people all the time. I was in banking and Atlanta out of the entire Southeast, my financial institution had the largest footprint right here in Atlanta of small business owners, period, in the entire Southeast. That states volumes of how many people want to be entrepreneurs and small business owners and want to open restaurants and whatever business, landscaping. It doesn't matter what level um, your dream is, where it fits into this structure. Um, Just in my financial corporation, it was the number one footprint in the Southeast just here in Atlanta, which says a lot. That means we have a lot of people trying to chase their dreams and, and live out their dreams and and missions and visions of being small business owners. That's crazy. But how many of that is truly successful? How many of that lands and is successful past a year, well, we three know, years, five years? We know what the statistics say. Yeah. It's not very good. Not but, very good at all. <laughs> so I want you to share your wisdom. Now that you've made that jump, you've gone through the progression, let's go back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. And what would you tell yourself? Let's say the lesson that you've learned over this last couple of years of yeah. full in, 100%. If you could tell yourself something going back two years about to embark on this journey, what would that be? You know, I thought about that answer on a couple of interviews and I thought about it coming into Those today. Those interviews were whack. Though. Yeah, because this is the best one right Hell here. Hell yeah. Say it again. But this is the best one. This Thank is the you. best platform, period. Thank you know, you. you're listening to it right now. There right it is. now. Thank tune you. in. Oh, you are tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, I would tell my old self stop splurging on things that really have no value or grow in value. For example, I'm a car fanatic. I think I have, I've had four Corvettes. (laughs) Okay. Four Corvettes. Like it made no sense. And I spent so much money in my youth, literally investing in cars, which is not an investment. And now that I look back, I had, could have taken those thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars invested in the market invested it in property, invested it in other things at a younger age that I will be so far, (laughs) so far along in my entrepreneurship, in my now career um, that I've chosen in the second part of my life. That's what I would do differently. Because at the end of the day, when we look at it, it's not necessary. It's not needed. Yes, but you know what? These Corvettes were dope. It's what, what? Those Corvettes were dope, man, and fast. And and they're now dope I know, but in somebody know, else's hands because I <laughs> I kept trading in and kept losing money just to, you know, keep up with now is really a car fetish that I had. That Same is thing with true, shoes. But we all got to have something, right? It's you know, fresh. at the end of the day, we... You, you know you're talking to the we? Maserati guy here, you right? You see, but do I've we? Before, and, and Shelby's looking. By the way, hey, Shelby. Shelby's here. Hey, Shelby. Which I've been in, Shelby. can attest to this. Way before rappers started driving Maseratis. Yeah. Now I'm out. Like, I'm officially out on the Maseratis. What? I'm out. Because all the... Because it's Everybody, like, yeah. Yeah it's, like, yeah, it's not special anymore. But, you know, when I was doing it 10 years ago, it was cool. It was yeah. special. Like, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I like cars. But again, to the <laughs> listeners out there, I get it. We all have these things that we love and we like. But truly... They need to be stripped away because if you really look and calculate and put it into an Excel spreadsheet, exactly what you are spending over all these years, let me tell you, it's some serious money and you can look at that (laughs) and you're talking about 
college for your kids and all these expenses going up and what it costs for a car nowadays. I mean, a basic Chevy now is running you 30 grand when back in the day it was like 17, 18,000 for a basic Chevy. And you're now at 30 grand for a basic Chevy, which I love Chevys, but I'm just saying, putting all those things in perspective, you used to be six and 10 and $12,000 for a college education. And now you're 25, 30, $40,000 for a semester, depending on what school you go to. Like that's crazy. So when you're talking about investing eight and $900 car notes and $1,200 car notes and, and things that we use and we attach ourselves to, there's no value in that. And so going back in my younger years, I would say, save all those bonuses <laughs> that I got from in banking and, you know, and consulting and everything that I did, save it, invest in more properties, save it and invest in savings in the market and more stock and Geez, if I could buy more Starbucks stock back then, because I drank so much Starbucks coffee, y'all. <laughs> I think I bought probably two or three Starbucks. <laughs> so, okay, listen, I think that the audience is going to be pissed off at me if I don't ask the international DJ about music. Music. Who's your favorite hip hop artist? Because you know oh. I'm a hip hop fan. I would have what? to say, of all time. Yes. And he's kind of more around the rap culture, but I would say Lil Wayne, just because I'm not originally from New Orleans, but I consider New Orleans my home. And Lil Wayne really, at the age of 14, um, we've been listening to him, and um, he literally broke a lot of barriers for younger rappers in my generation um, and going forward, and he paved a lot of ways. So I would say Lil 2010 Wayne. 2010 Lil Wayne, 2019 Lil Wayne, or 1999 Lil Man, Wayne? Man, I'm talking about 1998, guys. 99, yeah, Hot Boys Lil Wayne. The block is hot. The block is hot. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm down with that. What I don't know what he's doing right now, and I'm a fan of his music. Oh, yeah. No question, except the last couple of years. I just don't, man, stop singing. No, what you need to question is those type of people and yeah. artists and what they would have done differently. Whew. The answers that you would get from that. Well, I'm going to tell you what. You call up him and Oprah, get them on the show, and I'm going to holler at them. Both. All right. I'm going to work <laughs> on that. Whew. All right. Let's, what should we be listening to right now? I would say, okay, first of all, hip-hop is the number one global genre, period, dot. But I would say that there's a lot of international artists. Mm -hmm. um, I am originally from Trinidad and Tobago, and there's a lot of crossovers going on. But there's a lot of genres like Afrobeats and soca music that is penetrating the U.S. market. Um, and people have this argument about people in clubs don't dance anymore. And I say that's not true, because if you come to my set, I play all types of music to dance to, to sing along to. But if you really go into these cultures like Afrobeats and soca music, the West Indies and the Caribbean, these people dance from the beginning till the end of every song, of every set that every DJ could play. It's absolutely amazing. So I would say tap into your international music, your international market. Stay away from mainstream pop, mainstream top 40. Start exploring and and diving into more of the international That's music. That's what the cool kids are listening to? That is definitely what the cool kids and Stormy is listening to. That's what's yes. up. Well, we already know Stormy's the cool <laughs> kid. Come on, you can't separate yourself. Yeah, Come I on. try. <laughs> One thing I forgot to ask you, again, we can't leave without me asking you this, is what your favorite drink is. 
my Black favorite Canadian. drink. Yeah. Okay, so ask me before August of last year. Yes. My favorite drink was Tito's splash of water and a lime. Okay. Okay, because I'm into the whole health. By the and way, shout out to Tito's. Yeah. Because people don't even say vodka anymore. No, they say Tito's. Summertime distilled. They are killing it. <laughs> Tito's um sponsorship. I know we're called Business and Bourbon, but hey, all hey. at your boy. Okay. Yeah. You were saying. And then in August, I've been working so hard with TV and filming and traveling and DJing. I literally got very dehydrated. So I stopped in August. I went to the hospital four days. Yeah. Four days. um, And I stopped drinking hard liquor. Yeah. And I switched over to wine. And so, you know, a nice even line between wine and liquor was Chardonnay. So I was like, hey, let's do Chardonnay. And it's still liquor. That's a travesty. Yeah. I hate hearing that. Yeah, it's You know why? I got a PSA for Stormy and everyone else What's out that? there. Listen, just drink water. We don't have to go to wine. Just keep drinking your hard liquor and drink it's water. water. Yeah. That's it. Well, here's the plug. Tito's was there because it's very low in calories, right? Yeah. I mean, so Tito's, splash of water and lime. I mean, what else can you get to <laughs> cut and burn some fat? You know what I'm saying? That's true. That's true. <laughs> in all honesty... Man, I'm glad that you're back and ready to go. But that just I that am. speaks to your grind too. Like yeah. that speaks to what happens when you're out there trying to make great things happen. For those of you that are out there that are trying to make great things happen, you want to do something extraordinary. You want to be special. You know all these things. Listen, it comes at a cost. It comes if at a If you're huge ready cost. to pay, Ooh. let's go. Yeah, just in the last three weeks, I was filming my own show in Jamaica for a week. Came back, went right into New Orleans, came back, went right into Miami, then the Bahamas, then back to the Miami, and then back to New Orleans. Now I'm back here, and I'll be leaving for New Orleans again on Tuesday for Essence Fest. I won't be back for seven days, and then I leave there, and I finally get to just, like, literally some downtown with my family, going over to Destin. Yeah. But it's only for three days because I got to get back because then I'll be traveling again. Dreams so don't sacrifice. just happen. No, it you doesn't. Gotta, you, get, you have to make it happen. Yeah. It's, it's all about action. And the bigger you get and the bigger it gets, meaning your engine that you are working so hard to fuel and keep going, it's going to get worse. And so you've got to get to a point where you build very strong people and relationships around you and start leveraging those strengths. There it is. And I tell people all the time, the only reason I was such a great leader in corporate America, because I leveraged the people around me. I empowered those that were around me and I can go to sleep at night and not worry about if things were going to get taken care of the next day or when I was out of the office. And you got to give these people something to grasp or catch and go after and empower them because that's the leader that's going to follow you. And even in small business, um, have a mentee. (laughs) Those are the people that are going to work and give you that effort. Not the people that are standing outside looking in want to be just like you. It's the people that's right next to you working just as hard. Those are the people that are going to go 100 for you and keep your business and your dream alive. So there it is. Yeah. Stormy, where can we find you? What's going on? What's next for you? Where can people check you out either live or, yeah. or so TV? Live. What, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, so, Everything. I'm, so I'm back into TV. I'm auditioning for some really dope roles and stuff like that. There's a movie that I had a great cameo on that'll be coming out probably early next year. It's a big motion picture. But can you mention it? I can't. Okay. Oh. That, hey, that's why yeah. I asked. I know. But hey. it's with Tiffany Haddish and Selma Hayek. Okay, cool. Uh, which is super cool. Still auditioning, um, but 
creating my own content and working on that project. But you can find me from a DJ perspective. I'm performing at La Fête du Rosé, Moet Chandon's Rosé Festival here at Piedmont Park on this Saturday, the 29th. Um, I'm opening up for the one and only Manny Fresh. Chicka, chicka, chicka. Manny Fresh. <laughs> yes, um, the legendary Manny Fresh. I will be at Essence and I'll be performing in various spots so you guys can find me on at stormy atl Those on of you that all are going out media. to essence yes make sure to hit me up by the way essence tell them where it is yes essence is in new orleans yes. it is one of the best festivals that i've ever been best to that is three days long every fourth of july weekend and it goes friday saturday and sunday and it's an absolutely amazing women empowerment, a little bit of everything, all entertainment. You can get from Beyonce to Mary J. Blige to a little bit of everything at Essence I'm only Festival. checking for Stormy. I don't care about ah, none of them ladies. You know ladies. what I'm saying? See, so this is why I'm on this show right now mm-hmm. because it is the best. So, it is. so shout out to the listeners for supporting this man because he is absolutely amazing. Social, where can they find you? You can find me at Stormy ATL. That's S-T-O-R-M-Y. ATL as in Atlanta, and then stormyatl.com. And you can find that on all social media platforms. The reason why I have the ATL, Stormy represents my Louisiana heritage, my New Orleans background, Hurricane Katrina. I came here to Atlanta. Every evacuee, no matter what state that they went to, they were identified as, oh, you came from the storm. Hence my name, Stormy. Um, And then ATL, I had to pay homage to the city of Atlanta, which is now my second home. And I know we have a huge rivalry, but without Atlanta? No rivalry. We're be, awesome. They're not. Uh, there will be no birth of the entertainer Stormy. So I I pay homage to Atlanta every single day. But New Orleans is where it's at. Who that? Oh, you had to do that. You had it just when I was about to say. I just got all the unfollows. just about to say how much we claim. By the way, we're a national audience. And so, like, a lot of you guys are out there like, well, we don't care. Yeah. Whatever. But anyway. Hey, thank hey, you so much on for show. being we'll on the pod. We'll go back and forth on Matty Ice and Drew Brees. Let's not do that. <laughs> I love Matt. I love, I love Matt Ryan, but Drew Brees is one of the the goats. I mean, so he's a goat. So it is what it is. It is. What With it that is. said, for those of you that are still listening to us after we went totally regional on you, <laughs> I appreciate you. And with that, Stormy, we're, we're out. out. Thank you for listening to the Business and Bourbon Podcast. Please subscribe. And if you like us, give us a five-star rating. If you don't, uh, have another drink. Maybe you'll feel a little bit differently. If you'd like to check out our videos, you can go to businessandbourbon.tv. That's businessandbourbon.tv. In addition to that, we're currently touring the United States with our Business and Bourbon Live show. It's a fantastic show where we do a whiskey education and we do some Q&A and it's a great networking event as well. So if you'd like to attend one of our Business and Bourbon Live events, you can go to businessandbourbon.live. Again, that's businessandbourbon.live. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you the next time.